Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in this morning together. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, this time together as your people to uh, remember Jesus and to proclaim Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be um, working in us to, to know Jesus, to know uh, you for all your worth, to know your great love for us. God, would you encourage us and would you assure us that uh, we can totally trust in you and just continue to strengthen and develop our faith uh, so that we live as a people who are, who are yours and who make Jesus known. I pray that you speak over the next few minutes, that you say what you want to say to each one of us, and that you have uh, us hear what, what you have for each one of us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the day that we remember Jesus as he rode uh, into Jerusalem on a donkey while the crowds like surrounded him and praised him, laying their cloaks down on the, the ground and the palm leaves on the ground before him, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It's the day we enter into what we call Holy Week, right? Knowing that near the end of that week where Jesus entered in, to Jerusalem, near the end of that week, that same crowd that sang his praises, Hosanna in the highest, would also turn against him, and that on Friday he would be crucified on a cross, which we observe as Good Friday. But we also know that by the time we get here next Sunday, it will be Easter, right? We'll gather to celebrate our risen Lord, who died on the cross, but who rose again and is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we observe Holy Week, especially Easter, each year because we want to celebrate the good news of Jesus, but also because we need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus over and over and over again, because it's the good news of Jesus Christ that assures us that he will keep all his promises just as he always has, which allows our faith in him to grow and to strengthen and as we enter into this Holy Week this morning, we're going to continue uh, where we left off a couple weeks ago in Hebrews. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at chapter 11. That's where we were going to be last week, but some of us got sick, uh, me. And I, I'm really grateful for Reggie and everybody who stepped in to, to make that happen. But we're going to continue in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And this is a chapter that's all about faith. Let's go ahead and just read uh, through this chapter. It's a, it's a long passage. Uh, but rather than just going and taking a couple things out of here, I, I think this deserves just to be read through. So uh, follow along with me, if you will, in your Bibles or on the screen. We're going to read through chapter 11 of Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by his accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. 
Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens and as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in an was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able, to even, to, was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets 
who through faith they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, attained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of the weak, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, that some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went, out, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and the mountains and in the dens and the caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That's a popular passage of Scripture, and rightly so. It very poetically takes us back all the way to Genesis and it moves us through the Old Testament scriptures right up into the New so that we're captured by this like grand and sweeping story of redemption. And it's written like with this, this cadence that lends itself to inspiring the reader or the listener. It kind of stacks and it builds and then it kind of crescendos. It's really a fantastic piece of writing. But because it's written so well, I think we also have to be sort of careful with it. It can be easy to get swept up in it and yet miss the whole point at the same time. This chapter is it's often referred to as the Hall of Faith. The name is derived from the way the author just names so many great characters from the Old Testament, and he uses them as models of faith. But I think it's here that we can get lost right away, because this idea of walking through like a hall of faith, like, like a hall of fame, might have us like imagining walking through and maybe seeing these paintings of each person, uh, each of these characters standing kind of a, a bit in awe of them and in their stories as heroes of the faith as if they accomplished something, as if they are who we are supposed to be come. This hall of faith, then, might inspire us to try to practice our faith in order to be like them, so that our picture might end up on the wall one day, so that we could be considered with those of whom the world was not worthy, so that we could become heroes of the faith. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews had in mind to make happen. We aren't meant to get caught up in the characters so much as we're meant to get caught up in the God that they knew. We could spend a great deal of time in this chapter if we wanted to. We could unpack the whole story of each character and just examine it for all it's worth. But the, but the writer doesn't really do that. Rather, he uses a whole bunch, of, several examples in, in the sweeping story of redemption in order to show that Jesus has always been the hero, that he is still the hero, and that Jesus will always be the hero of the story, which is all meant to inspire one main thing in the audience of Hebrews, and that's faith. But what do we really mean by faith? Go back with me to the beginning of this chapter, and let's just read again just this first part, these first three verses. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, it's the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God 
so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So what is faith, really? The writer of Hebrews helps define it here as the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. Maybe you're familiar with this passage. Maybe you remember it uh, translated a different way. The, the NIV says it this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. The King James Version says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we have like a few words that are used to try to convey the meaning of faith, right? Assurance, uh, confidence, substance, evidence, conviction. I like how one commentator translates it uh, to mean, essentially, um, to mean that faith is a calm courage in reference to things hoped for. See, the writer of Hebrews is seeking to somehow lead these early Jewish Christian in the audience, Christians in the audience who have faced and are facing persecution of all kinds, he wants to encourage them to continue in the way of Christ by faith. To continue uh, with Jesus from a deep sense of confidence, right? Of assurance and conviction that Jesus really can be trusted through and through. Though, though what is presently seen and what is presently felt may be really tough. The writer is leading them to face forward and to follow Jesus with a calm courage because they deeply believe that Jesus has given them something greater than this world and something greater than this life that this life can't offer. But we need to recognize before we go any further that this kind of faith isn't something that we can achieve. It's not something that we can attain. And the writer of Hebrews is not like giving his audience a list of examples of people who, who took the right steps to achieve faith or to attain a faith. We can't walk like the hall of faith, get inspired to have faith like those Bible characters, and then like go out and do something to get it. It doesn't work like that. Faith is something that is given to us by God. The assurance of things hoped for, I mean, that comes from Him. We can only rest assured in Him if He has done something that inspires our confidence in Him. And that's what the writer shows in all these examples, how people have lived when they lived from a faith in God and His accomplishing His promises. So, whatever this faith thing is, it's not about going and doing something and attaining something because faith can't be bought, faith can't be earned, faith can't be like biologically inherited, faith can't be uh, signed up for or acquired simply by joining a church or baptism or practicing any other religious activity. Faith isn't what you do or practice, it's what drives you. Faith is what drives you. Now, the multiple examples of faith begin in verse 3, saying, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so right away from verse 1, and now into this first example in verse 3, not only are we taken back to the beginning of Genesis and the whole story of the Bible, we're caught up in this new understanding of everything that exists. There are both things that are seen, and there are things that are unseen. And what is seen came from the things that are unseen. And what is unseen 
is greater than that which is seen. Since the world is not made by things that are visible. And faith has something to do with this kind of understanding of reality. Right after this, we're introduced to Abel and then to Enoch, uh, which is where we read this, uh, where we read Hebrews 11.6. It kind of seems like a a bit of an aside, uh, but it's really a pivotal verse in this passage. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God who is unseen, exists, and he rewards those who seek him. The kind of faith that pleases God believes those two things. In fact, they are essential. Like without them, we cannot draw near to God, the Scripture says. But again, how can you and I or anybody else attain that kind of faith? It's not something that we can go and get or manufacture. It must be inspired by God himself. Something that he does must give us confidence to believe that these two things are indeed true. Because what we will see will often look counter to those truths, won't it? Like we may feel like we don't get, um, that we don't deserve half of what we get in this earth, right? We may feel that life isn't always Fair. We might even see those we'd considered wicked prosper while we see those who we might consider good Christians to suffer. And it might get hard at times, if we're just looking at what we can see, to believe that God rewards those who seek him. Or maybe that even exists. We don't know exactly where the original audience of this letter was, but it's pretty obvious that they were Jewish Christians who were likely having a hard time believing, not so much that God exists, but that he truly rewards those who seek him. Because they were facing hard times. Some had lost a lot of of their life. Some had been imprisoned. Some had been beaten. Some had been killed. And so where's the reward? I think that's why the, the writer puts so much effort into ironing out exactly what is meant by reward. Back in 11.2, right at the beginning, he writes writes that by faith, the people of old received commendation from God. Abel was commended by God as righteous as God accepted his offering, but Abel also was killed shortly thereafter by Cain. And sure, we got Enoch, who's next. He was commended before he was taken up by God for having pleased God. He didn't die, just God took him with him. But as you read through the chapter, the rewards aren't always so obvious, right? People are tortured. People are mocked, flogged, chained, imprisoned, sawn in two, killed by the sword, and more. And the writer wants them to look for and to recognize a reward that is beyond being kept from the poverty and the violence of this world. There's a reward beyond being kept from the poverty and violence of this world. So we need to talk more about the rewards because there must be more to it than what is seen and experienced presently. So what's the reward? In every example that the author of Hebrews hashes out in this chapter, those who displayed faith in God did so because they knew God. Not all these characters always acted like they knew him. Abraham sometimes trusted God, and often he didn't. But he didn't go back home. He didn't stop believing that God existed and that, and that, that, and that, what, the un, 
excuse me, and that what was unseen was greater and more desirable than what he could see. See, those who taste and see that the Lord is good are given more of God. The principle is more plainly stated in Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What are we rewarded as we seek God? We are rewarded with what our soul finds the most delight in, what we desire the most, and that is knowing God himself. And knowing him produces this assurance that produces a calm courage and living with conviction because it comes with believing that what is unseen is greater than what we can see. And though we cannot see every promise of God accomplished for eternity presently, we can see how God has never fallen short of his promises. We can see how Jesus has defeated sin and death, so there is truly nothing that stands in his way. And we can see how God has made himself known to us, has demonstrated his great love for us, and has called us into his family, called us beloved, called us sons and daughters of God. Reward does not mean everything is awesome in the seen world. It means we will know him more and more and know how he knows us and know that all that he says he will do, he will do. All that he says he will do will come to fruition. The writer of Hebrews takes the time to draw this out a bit in verses 13 through 16, demonstrating his point in the examples of Abraham and Abraham's family. Verses 13 through 16 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, though Abraham and his family could not see God or see his future work fully accomplished, they knew God. And they believed him, and they believed that he had a home for them that they did not yet know. But they knew that they were created for and being saved to this new home. Somehow, God would accomplish it. And that's what continued to drive them. Faith isn't what you do or practice. It's what drives you. As they knew God, as they lived with conviction that nothing could go contrary to what he promised, they lived and they died with this assurance. They grew to live and to die with a calm conviction, a calm courage. They didn't always have faith like that, but God continued to show up, and he kept making himself more and more known to him, and the more he made himself known to to them, the more they could trust him. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I think we often hear like this call to seek God and just hear like another religious thing that we need to do. But Jesus didn't die on the cross to save us from sin because people sought him as they were supposed to. It's not because people demonstrated a great faithfulness that Jesus came. 
Jesus died on the cross to save us from sin and death because he has always been faithful. And his demonstrated faithfulness then inspires our faith in him. If you read again through all these examples in Hebrews 11, nobody went looking for God. He always came and invited them to get to know him. God called Abraham out of Ur for God reasons. It certainly wasn't because Abraham was looking for him. Moses was minding his own business and just looking to steer clear of Egypt when God called him from a burning bush. Every character needed God, but they weren't really looking for him. But God invited them in, and every time they got to know him, they came to believe in him and believe that he is good and that he rewards those who get to know him with the ability to live from the knowledge of his goodness of the unseen God. And that's what all this is meant to help us see. It isn't that any one of those uh, biblical characters from this chapter is a hero that we ought to aspire to be like. It's that Jesus was always the hero, that Jesus is the hero, and that he always will be the hero, that Jesus is better always and forever. None of these characters was complete on their own, and none of them died complete, so to speak. They died waiting for the one who would finish his work in them. They died waiting for Jesus. The end of the chapter goes like this. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. See, they died waiting on all of God's promises to be fulfilled. They died waiting for sin to be dealt with. They died waiting for the nations to come into the family of God. And because Jesus has come out for all of us, this has been accomplished so that we are now one with these characters in this old book. And it all speaks to us. It's good news for us. It demonstrates, again, his faithfulness. Like, doesn't that inspire confidence and give us assurance of things hoped for and instill a calm courage in us to know that he has always kept his promises. And so we can trust that whatever is still out there for him to accomplish, he's going to do it. That Jesus has bound us up into a family with those who came long before us. I mean, that in itself is just another telling of the the grand and sweeping story of Jesus, the grand and sweeping good news of Jesus Christ, who who the writer of Hebrews says is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, so that through Jesus we know God. The invitation of this chapter then, and I really think it's the invitation of the book, it's meant to inspire faith. It's not an invitation to go do something, but... It's an invitation to hear the good news of Jesus and let it permeate in you, like through and through. It's to let him make himself known to you. Because surely, as he does, you'll be inspired to belief. You'll be inspired uh, to assurance and conviction and confidence that he who is unseen is far and away greater than what we can see. He's good. It's demonstrated over and over and over again. He loves you. It's fully demonstrated in the cross. And he's always for you and always with you. He's resurrected. 
It's Palm Sunday. Friday, this Friday is Good Friday. Next Sunday is Easter. We'll be taking a break from Hebrews to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus as we gather together next week. But this is a good week to practice spending time with Jesus with some intention. To listen again to the sweeping good news of Jesus. And and I just want to encourage you this morning. Like, I know that this is a busy week in Augusta. Like, many are traveling. Many are watching golf. Um, I actually find it a very difficult season for Easter to land in for us. I mean, for myself. It's just a hard thing to fully engage in because there's so much going on around here. But I want to encourage you. Let's not miss the opportunity that Holy Week provides, the invitation that it extends to us. Would you set aside just a few minutes each day uh, this week to spend some time remembering the good news of Jesus and spending some time with him in prayer? Like maybe go back and reread Hebrews 11. Consider how grand his story is and how faithful he has been through the ages. Consider then how he has been faithful to you. Remember what this week is all about. Jesus came. He died. He rose again. He's proven his great love for us. He's proven his power. He's proven that that which is unseen is greater than that which is seen. He's proven that he's king of kings, that he's lord of lords. Consider his promise that he's coming again. And see if you can't trust him more and more as you consider all the ways he's always been faithful. You can be honest with him about the troubles that you might be facing and even engaging in that. And just ask the Holy Spirit, like, would you inspire faith in me? Ask that your confidence in Jesus would be strengthened by the evidence that he who is unseen is greater than all that is seen. And let's just see, as we go this week, with some intention to to engage and to accept an invitation to know Jesus more and more, let's see how he strengthens our faith together. We're going to enter into a time of response, as we do each week. And the band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in uh, a time of singing and worship. Um, And then we're going to come down, and we're going to take communion together as well. As you come, you can come down this middle aisle. There's a basket in the back where you can give your tithes and your offerings. Um, We know a lot of people aren't giving cash and checks these days. You might be giving online. Maybe it just slips out of your account and you've forgotten about it at this point. Just consider this your weekly reminder that God is your provider and that you made an intention to, to make that happen as an act of worship. Take a moment and acknowledge him for who he is. Acknowledge his, his goodness to you and his provision and give that back to him. And then as you come, we're going to take the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, representing the body and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, that was given for us. And as we do this, we're, we're doing two things. We're remembering Jesus, remembering the good news of Jesus, and we're proclaiming that good news to one another in our action. And remembering that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He's done all that he said he would do, which means he's going to do everything that he says he was going to do. And we can trust in that. We can have faith in that. And not only that, there's great news in that all of us who are not a family have been made a family 
in and through Jesus Christ. And so as we come and take, we remember these truths. We proclaim them together. If you're a Christian and you can make this confession, please come and take with us, whether you're a Redemption Church member or not. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into that time. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus who was there in the beginning, has always been, through whom the whole world was made, and who stepped into creation to make a way for us to be made right with you to come and to deal with sin, to come and to deal with death. There's this whole grand story of redemption where Jesus is the hero. And he always has been the hero, and he is the hero, and he always will be the hero, and he's always come through. You've always come through. You've always delivered on everything that you said you would do. It may not be in our time. We may die not seeing everything that you said you would do, but we can look back over history and see you have always done exactly what you said you would do. And in greater ways than we could possibly imagine. God, inspire faith in us. Inspire us to trust. Inspire us to to live with a calm courage and conviction that we can face tomorrow, we can face anything, we can face death. Because that which is unseen is greater than what's seen. And we know we can trust you into death and into eternity. We can trust that you're coming back. We can trust that you're going to do away with tears and with death and with violence, with all the the things that make this world so broken. You've come for us. And you're coming again. We thank you for Jesus. I, I, I pray this week, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work through your people at Redemption Church just to set our gaze on Christ, to set our, our memory back on, on what we know happened. That he came in that he brought your kingdom, that he was killed, that he died for our sins, and that he rose again. I just, I want us to be overwhelmed. Make Jesus known to us for who he really is. And through that, gift us with faith. Inspire us with faith. May we become more and more like you. In Jesus' name. Amen.